0: All right, folks, uh, Chris had a little bit of trouble importing my slides, so some of them got broken up, so there might be a brief pause between uh, some of these. And Blade Birch, I'm sorry I didn't come to you, but uh, this graphic is the best I can do with MS Paint. Sorry about that. So obviously today's topic is a daily devotional, and that you should just do it. Let's, uh, Let's get past some of these arguments, some of the common questions and concerns people have. We'll hop on in. So... Here's our agenda. We're going to talk about the rationale, the relevance of reading and praying every day, uh, some common barriers, things that might stand in your way, dismantling those barriers, uh, providing better arguments, um, maybe changing the perspectives, the way we look at this stuff, Uh, application, a quick glance at some common pitfalls, a few prayer models, and encouragement. So the rationale. First of all, uh, reading and praying is relevant. It matters. Uh, and if you're a believer, this is something that should be a staple of your life, but uh, understandably, it's not for a lot of us, especially me. I've been there. Um, it would not be unfair to. Hold on a second. Chris, these notes are all jacked up, bro. I'm so sorry. My name. What have you done? No, here we go. I'm just going to resize them. <laughs> it would not be unfair to simply state that reading and praying is relevant and just leave it at that. Um, chances are you already know that submitting yourself to and engaging with the same creator that called you into existence might be a good idea Um, and the odds are good that you likewise have already had some yearning to do just that uh, even before you made your way into this faith of ours Uh, not only this, but the same creator that we're talking about here possesses an unshakable and similar yearning of his own Um, now it has to begin somewhere Uh, I would imagine many of you have waffled between a real relationship with God and whatever the muted and sometimes distressing opposite of that might be. Um, Whether you're new to the faith or an old hand at all this Christian business, you're likely already aware that your walk with Christ is a process. And like any other process, it has a beginning. And that beginning is dialogue, both in your prayers with him and your reading a few pages of correspondence he's left behind for you. Now it has to begin somehow, there's a way, right? Um, Like anything that can perish or become weak, your life in scripture and prayer, and thusly your relationship with God, must be maintained. Make no mistake, we're not putting a clamp on God's ability to overcome and make up for your failings in this regard. But let's be clear here, Uh, we know that's not the design, we know that's not the immediate intention. Just as we know uh, what the intention is, at least most of the time we do. So some way, it has to be carried out some way. The good news is that it's relatively straightforward. Y'all have already probably done it once or twice before. Uh, No mental gymnastics or secretive mechanisms must be activated to read and pray. Nor do you have to do so anywhere within the same zip code as perfectly. Your Your engaging in these behaviors engages God, who will supply his assistance so that your prayers and reading can become fruitful. So we, here we go i got to keep reciting this, Chris. I'm sorry. So we, so we talked about, you know, this is a relevant thing to do. This is necessary. But what are some of the things that are holding us back? I'll be honest, this stuff up here, I'm not even talking to you. This is me from six years ago. I'm yapping at myself. These are the arguments I've made multiple times. Uh, or excuses. You know, it's pretty easy for us to rationalize anything, even stuff that's stupid or harmful to us. And these are the arguments I've used to prevent myself from engaging God in any real or meaningful way. So if I look you in the eyes, I'm not talking to you. It's a nice shirt. So some things that might hold you back. The past. This is the big one. This is probably the most common for all of us. You know, dead weight. Uh, You've got some guilt. You did X things that you still feel guilty for. Um, Forgiveness. Someone else did uh, X things to you. Or pain. X things happened and it hurts. A lot. So the second part, barriers... This is the second one this is the one that's a little bit rougher it's kind of harder to it's a little bit harder to overcome, especially when we start looking into argumentation like some models to defeat this argument. This one just sort of swarms up on us it comes at, at you out of nowhere, and that's doubt and thomas ain't got nothing on you so the first one is epicurean delight now y'all are, i'm sure some of you are familiar with Epicurus. he had a pretty common uh, argument against god's existence i 'm not going to repeat it here i don't want any edgy atheists to come up and start saying it but um, if God is all powerful wants X for me but does not provide X himself on his own why should I pray for it it's sort of like an argument from laziness like well God's not going to do it I'm not going to do it either Um, I don't want to try until I know the right way it's a real or imagined ignorance now this one can come in two flavors like I said it's real or imagined you either feel like there's some secretive way to prayer some some gnosticism some secret knowledge that you have to obtain that's not true one we're going to get to that in a minute though Or two, you're just saying that as an excuse not to read or pray. Um, And the last one, I don't have the time. Poor time management. Uh, Spoiler alert, you got the time. We'll get to that, though. (laughs) The third set of barriers is fear. Uh, And fear in self, it is not actually the only thing to fear. So um, one of the first things that can hit you with fear is habits. You've got X sins or an array of sins or uh, some other stumbling block that is persistent, seemingly unshakable, and you're afraid you can't form a meaningful relationship with God in this state. Like, you, you keep hoping to be in the state of grace. Maybe once you're forgiven, you're going to start this up again. But the problem with that is it's a pattern. It just keeps repeating itself. Um, the second one is I'm afraid I won't feel anything. That's chasing a high. It's an argument from emotion. And wrath, I'm afraid to approach the throne. I don't know where management's coming from, Chris. You're killing me. Every now and then, it's management. <laughs> management, All right? Um, it, wrath, that's... I think this is, a, this is a salient fear. It matters. I think it's actually a good thing, but we're going to talk about how to make it a good thing. It's not always a good thing. So, barriers. Let's, let's, uh, let's knock these down, if I can get my notes to expand. So, dismantling barriers, the past. Um, first up, do you really believe your past is irreconcilable? With God, of course. That's what we're talking about. You know, I know folks that have been in combat. I know folks that have been uh, incarcerated. Folks that have, for all intents and purposes, gotten off scot-free with their missteps and misdeeds, at least in the public eye. These are people that have gotten away with things that no one else knows about, but they know. Uh, Maybe some close family members or friends uh, know about this stuff. I've yet to meet anyone that's been able to sustain the argument when asked if they truly, truly believe that the betrayal, assault, mocking, and execution of the Son of God wasn't enough to cover their past transgressions kind of hard for that one to stand up. When you, when you lead the whole thing out, it kind of just falls in on itself. If you truly believe God can't save you, who is it you think you need saving from? Um, yourself? The enemy? Do you really believe the creator cannot save one of his created from themselves if they ask? Second up, do you really believe that your past experiences with someone else is irreconcilable? So we're talking about you being reconcile with yourself. How do you reconcile with someone else? Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe someone's done something that might require forgiveness. (laughs) If you've had trouble with the first one, you're going to have trouble with this one. Um, This one's going to be rough on you. Maybe they've moved, the person that hurt you. Um, Maybe you don't know where they are. Maybe they're dead. Um, Those, it might be tough to overcome what they've done to you, how they failed you, or to forgive them to their faces. But it's not impossible. You may not have the same satisfaction of seeing those faces when you forgive them. You may not derive the sense of... uh, moral justice that you would from hearing their confession and holding their forgiveness in your hands. Um, but you will have forgiven. We'll conveniently set aside that part where Christ says that you need to forgive if you want forgiveness, both in action and as a plea in his prayer. Let's use something a little bit more modern though. Um, who here has heard the saying forgiveness is for you? It's not for a question. You guys have heard it. All right, cool. Um, Forgiveness, in a purely psychological sense, is an act of choosing not to judge or condemn someone based off a memory of a wrong and shedding the weight uh, of a grudge against another person. If they receive it well, awesome. Um, If they respond appropriately, awesome. If not, you've still shed that weight. You've done your part. You've satisfied uh, that need to release this thing for yourself. Um, And the last one here is do you really believe... Christ can't heal, redeem, or both heal and redeem your pain. Um, you guys may be picking up on a theme here, um, but I've got to be honest with you. Many of us may be guilty in this regard. We might think that we've got something up on God. We might think we've, we've got one over on him. Um, many of us may still feel the hurt from something that happened weeks ago, months ago, a year ago, or even decades ago. But we're all sitting in this room together. Um, we're all here still. Tell me. Can you confirm what I've heard about this Jesus character? Uh, is it true that he went around telling folks with withered hands to stretch them out? Did he give the blind sight? Did the lame walk as a result of him? Did he raise people from the dead? Did the sick recover? Are we back to saying that there is something tangible, something terrestrial and earthy and material, um, that cannot be overcome by the same Christ we acknowledge as Christ? The very same? Are we saying that if we're not giving this stuff up? Um, is it ignorance or pride talking here? What are we really saying when we imply that we have, we found a limit in our own lives to God's power, grace, and mercy? And that's, that's not a trick question, but it's a rhetorical one. I think we all know what we're saying. If we say that I found a way to stop God from getting in on my life, from forgiving me, from restoring me, from redeeming me. That may not be saying anything out loud, but it's certainly implying some things. And it's a good idea to think about them. And I've got some uh, notes here. This is that part I was telling you about where stuff got cut off. There's a couple of verses that uh, I found in support. They're supposed to go on the same slide. We ran out of room. Um, I'm just going to touch on the bottom slide, or the bottom uh, verse here. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because I wanted to talk about this verse specifically and some of the differences between the English translation and the original Greek It's a lot heavier in Greek than it is this. And if you ask Chris, that's the case with a lot of the stuff. They get real deep. They have like 45 tenses or something absurd like that. Um, It's important to mention that this last verse here doesn't express the entire point in English. Uh, The Greek here for all who labor and are heavy laden takes on a deeper meaning with tired or exhausted with toil, burdens, or grief and weighed down by those burdens or heavy load. When Christ says he'll give you rest, The Greek expands that to mean to cease, to permit one to cease from labor uh, in order to recover, refresh, and collect strength. So when we talk about this in light of pain, past pain, God's talking about Christ is talking about directly in this verse what he's going to do for you. Um, Permit one to cease from labor in order to recover, refresh, or collect strength. Something to think about. The second set of barriers, again, we're going to crush these. uh, Dismantling barriers, doubt. If you If you're truly so content to see God's will realized, why aren't you humbling yourself to it? If you're one of those people that says, well, if God's going to do it, he's going to do it, all right? Am I right, bro? Well, are you humbling yourself to that will? You're acknowledging it. Why aren't you taking any action? As a professing believer, claiming that God's will is inevitable regardless of whether you engage in prayer or reading is rather self-defeating in this context. It's true, but it's self-defeating. First, such an argument blindly misses those points where God has communicated his will through Scripture you know, where his word states that we're to read said scripture and to pray. Second, there's a fine line between confidence through faith and obstinately refusing to engage in a relationship with the same God you are claiming to be powerful because you don't see a point in it. As it turns out, obedience in Christ isn't all about you. Second up, do or do not, there is no try. This is that one where we're struggling with finding a way to do it. We think there's some secret method. There's not, just do it, bro. Uh, Claiming you don't wish to try until you found some secret sauce, some silver bullet, alludes to something, some act, or some thought process you're not willing to release, to let go of. Um, Have you ever heard it's hard to accept a gift if your hands are full before? You're either actually, for reals, for reals, so unsure of yourself in prayer and studying scripture, uh, or you're just pretending for whatever reason. Um, And you may not even be admitting that to yourself. Stop take stock and consider the following. If you're waiting for a kick in the rear, some major event to come along and prod you into action, you just might get your wish. Um, Could be fruitful, could be terrible. There's really not a way to tell. And if it's the latter, your efforts to establish a daily devotional may come to a grinding halt due to the things we discussed in the last slide, that one about pain. Um, If it's the former, well, good for you. You might just make something out of it. However, let's get a few things clear. There is no iteration of yourself that will be more or less ready to engage with God in a real and lasting relationship than this one right now. You don't have to keep waiting for the special sauce to come down the line. You're not, you don't have to wait for new knowledge. Just do it. He could. He's pretty good at developing people. We might agree on that. <clears throat> All versions of you that have ever existed or will ever exist will require it, benefit from it. Produce fruit and experience change by degrees because because of it, even if they are unaware of those things on a conscious level. More or less, the time is always now. It's not when X, Y, Z happens down the road or when these conditions are met. It's now, now, now. Prayer and reading are like any other skill out there. They both can perish or flourish cumulatively. Uh, So consistency and discipline are both very important. Um. And the last point I've got here, you most certainly have time for debt. Um, do you guys watch television? Play video games, play board games, enjoy outdoor activities, sports, reading, listening to music, driving around, relaxing, or any other bona fide or enjoyable enough by you to be considered fun thing that you engage in? Yeah, you guys all do this. Everybody does this. <laughs> um, you have the time. Unless you're one of those rare individuals that actually detests rest, and relaxation, or work seven 24-hour shifts end-to-end every week of their life, you have the time. You're just not spending that time wisely, at least not all of it. Um, by all means, be a good parent, be a good friend, be a good partner, be a good worker, be a good student, and be a good athlete. All that stuff can still happen at the same time. But if you're, ly- you're lying to yourself if you're saying you don't have the time for God in the midst of all that other stuff. So the last barrier here is fear. Um First up, you're not alone. This one is the weird one. This one is, um, as people that believe in God, this can easily be considered something like a silent attribute, a thing that goes without saying, that we're not really consciously aware of all the time, that we tell people going through hard stuff is a truth. It's a maxim. It's part of this faith. But this is a thing we don't think about much. If we did, it might dradi- uh, drastically, radically alter the way we act. Um, this might be something we could consider... So well hidden, yet in plain sight. It's a goofy one. As tough as it may be to grasp, you've never been alone. Even on your loneliest day, the darkest night of your soul, you haven't spent a millisecond of your life apart from your creator. Before you existed, he knew you. Before your mother held you in her arms, he had already seen your face. Not only are we talking about proximity, God has been in nearness to you on more than one occasion, in fact, all the occasions, um, but we're also talking about experience and knowledge. Christ lived, folks, and what does that mean? We're talking about implications, right? So let's extrapolate that out a little bit. We're going to go a little bit out there with that. This means that he had to see his body's needs, see to his body's needs with food, both the fun and not-so-fun part. Um, He had to get rest. He probably stubbed his toe a few times or stepped on the pre-industrial version of a Lego in the middle of the night while on his way to the bathroom. He laughed, he cried, he, he smiled, he frowned, and he experienced the same temptations... We have experienced, are experiencing, and one day may experience. Put simply, Christ knows exactly what it means to be alive and kicking down here in these meat bags of ours, um, in this flesh. So you were not only so hold. So you not only have avoided true loneliness in the truest sense of the word, uh, but you've also avoided possessing any damning inclination that Christ and admittedly other humans, uh, believers or otherwise, have struggled against too. He has dominion and sovereignty over the same habits that keep you from him. Spoiler alert, this is something you can read and pray about. So faith over faculties. This is an interesting one. Um, This is one I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people in this room about over the years. Uh, Many of us have had experiences in our faith. Uh, Maybe sensations we can't otherwise uh, fit in our day-to-day framework. These thoughts, emotions, and feelings may be hard to make sense of after the fact and they may make us yearn to experience them again when confronted with how mundane everything must feel without them. We're talking about miracles. We're talking about um, that surprised by joy, the joy in the morning, the great comfort. Like these things that seem to come wrapped up in this faith that we can't reproduce, we can't add up on paper, we can't do an experiment. In a la- well, we can. It just always fails. But these are those things that we can't quite grasp, yet we yearn for them. Um, well... <laughs> This may be very easy and a very human mistake to make. It speaks volumes about the part of our nature that would rather worship a created thing, these feelings, these experiences, or a cast-off of the creator, um, or a byproduct of the creator, rather than the creator himself. It's okay to take joy in unexplainable joy. It's okay to feel comforted. It's okay to acknowledge these faculties. But it is decidedly not okay to make your entire spiritual life in pursuit of them over the one that provides them. In um, the last one here, it's a good thing. Mercy is a thing. Um, fear of God is a good and rational thing. However, you may feel like you can't even go to God for the sake of the wrath he might wield against you for the things you've done. I think a lot of us might have been here. Like, it might, you might have done something silly, thought of something silly, or felt something silly, or planned to do something silly, and that might be throwing a wrench um, between you and God. It might be a barrier between you and God. That is the most human thing you could do. Um, however, this thought process that I can't go to him because I'm scared he's going to hurt me uh, is flawed for one reason. If God's wrath upon you is truly imminent for a crime you've committed, will commit, thought about committing, uh, do you really believe he needs you to initiate a conversation to execute his judgment? Like, do you have to go to him for it? If, if you're afraid he's going to smite you, do you, does he rely on you to smite you? Or could he just do it at any time? If we're acknowledging God is who he says he is, he has this power of us, he wields this strength, we don't need to do anything in that process. <laughs> um, <clears throat> obviously here, obviously the answer is no. God does not require you showing up to court to give you a sentence. Uh, fortunately, that's not really how any of this works. Thank God. Uh, confessing whatever it is that's keeping you from approaching God is the one thing that starts the process of getting right with God repenting and pursuing change in your behavior and the thought patterns that brought you there is the process itself. God forgiving you, restoring you, and healing you is its conclusion. Let me just say this one thing, peeps. Uh, Don't let the shame of an illness you might have, this thing between you and God, don't let the shame of an illness keep you from seeing the doctor that can take care of you. So, applications. Um, Be on the lookout. I mean, I I gotta mess with these, Chris. I'm sorry. So some common pitfalls, uh, rigidity, an infomercial effect. Uh, these are ones that uh, I've identified, you guys might identify even more than that. So anything we do with a level of consistency can become rigid over time. In this context, I could be a, it could be a slavish devotion and attention towards the idea of your reading and prayer life, rather their intended purpose than their intended purpose and impact on your walk with Christ. Uh, This one seems especially capable of slipping by us unawares and can erode away our desire for nearness and snuff out our drive to seek time with our creator, bit by bit, until we're left wondering why we even started down this path to begin with. While there may be much to say about the importance of sacrament and ritual, be careful not to make your devotional life a mere demonstration of your spiritual knowledge or uh, aptitude, instead of an honest and earnest engagement with your creator. Fortunately, if you're watching this, this one's easy to spot. Keep an eye out for the reasons that you're reading and praying. Are you praying so you could hear yourself talk? Um, Are you reading because you're impressed with your theological understanding? You won't need to ask anyone else's opinion on this one to spot it. Uh, You'll know. So the infomercial effect. We've all seen them. We all probably hate them legitimately and uh, otherwise. Infomercials typically follow the same model. They interrupt the show you're trying to watch. They take over the show you're trying to watch and replace it with something you don't want to watch, but you're going to watch till the infomercial goes away. So you're stuck. It's, it's, got, it's a trap. Um, regardless of whatever rebranded wares they happen to be peddling at any given time, uh, for our purposes, we're going to focus on the expectations they set in the minds of their audiences. Expectations that likely lead to disappointment. Unless, of course, you bought a Snuggie, which does seem to function exactly as advertised. Anyhow, beware you're not selling infomercial or setting infomercial esque expectations for your devotional life. I'm not saying you can't be ready to be moved when you read, that you shouldn't hope for the things you pray for, or that you should be closed off to the possibility of God interceding directly in your life. But I am saying that those things aren't the point. Those are bad expectations. Yes, we should make our petitions known unto God. That's repeated multiple times in Scripture. Yes, We should take our pain, our failings, our missteps, and our concerns to God, also repeated multiple times in Scripture. However, we should leave room for his will and his design in that process. Sometimes God may answer your prayer immediately, just not in the way you want. Remember, when you're praying, no is still an answer. Sometimes things won't go quite the way you expect, so be mindful of the fact that you are to submit yourself to this process, not enter into it with preconditions you enact as a requirement for your participation. <laughs> so last up, some application. We're going to go over some prayer models. Uh, the Acts model, it's a structured approach. The Lord's Prayer, it's Christ's directive. Extemporaneous prayer, Queensbury rules, anything goes. Um, reading plans, there's an app for that. <laughs> there's an app for that, a book for that, a blog, a forum, a magazine, a pamphlet, and a support group for that. More or less, there's tons of reading plans out there. It's absurd. Um So remember that there doesn't—it's important we remember this. There doesn't appear to be a required formula for prayer, um, as it is conversing with God. Mindsets matter, expectations matter, and motivations matter. But the thing that matters most is that you are praying, that you are engaging. Um, While the Spirit intercedes on our behalf, we should not be flippant with our prayer or reading life. But it doesn't mean you can't be upset, can't be jovial, and can't be grieved. Uh, but you should be aware of who you're talking to. If you want to see evidence that you're allowed to cry, that you're allowed to laugh, that you're allowed to heap praise upon God, just read the Psalms. You're going to go through the whole thing. Check out Lamentations. That is like the first goth song ever written. It's just it's just dark. It's, it doesn't feel good. Um, and Psalms is brimming with this stuff. So we'll start with the X model here. It's a, a method, a vehicle for prayer. The ACTS prayer model seeks to organize itself into four components, which can be a great place to start if you struggle with maintaining focus or want to work on consistency. ACTS stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Adoration is just how it sounds, only directed at God. It's not for yourself. This is where you willfully offer up praise to God for who he is, what he's done, and your love for him. Uh, confession is next, which sh- which shows you admitting to the things you've done, said, Or thought that you know aren't in alignment with him. And asking forgiveness for those things. Thanksgiving is you directing your thanks towards God for his provision, both seen and unseen. And lastly, supplication is where you pray for your needs and the needs of others. Family, friends, finances, authority figures, or any other needs go here. If you struggle with the act of praying itself, and have only struggled your way to, to this point... You can pray for help with praying, (laughs) praise and thankfulness too. Anything that you might engage in prayer for that you struggle with doing, you can add that to your prayer list. God, I'm really bad at praying. Can you help me out here, bro? God, I'm terrible at being thankful. I'm terrible at confessing. I'm terrible at anything. You can add that. You can pray for that too. Uh, The Lord's Prayer. Now, um, some different flavors of our faith have adopted this as the prayer. Um, I think for the most part, it's not theologically back, but it's still a good prayer. It's still useful. Uh, the prayer found in Matthew 6, 9 through 13 has gotten me through some uh, tough times in my walk with Christ over the years and has served as the only prayer I was capable of or could think of when things were especially dire or distressing. You know, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us for our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then here's the Catholic one, right, Chris? For thine is the power and the kingdom of glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, Now, I didn't do that to impress you. That's the only verse I know by heart. But if we look at it, we can break it down into a model. It it has some useful stuff in there. Um, It starts with Christ saying, pray then like this, and then he goes into his prayer. But you'll notice that in those other times, Christ is praying, um, where he prayed aloud in the garden, when he prayed on the cross, or with his disciples, he didn't say those exact words again, right? Like we saw different prayers. We, he would like he'd bless things and break them in half and multiply them. We didn't see him regurgitating the same mantra over and over. That means we don't have to. There is something in that prayer, though, something important to pay attention to. Um, so as we can see, we're not to adhere to this prayer as a mantra through repetition. Or is our only route to prayer itself. Um, Breaking it down does, however, reveal some good takeaways on how Christ expressed prayer himself. First, you are addressing God, uh, the creator of everything in the universe. Second, God is holy in a way you can't be and requires submission and worship. Third, you are to be repentant and can only hope to receive the same grace we too extend to others. And prayer is the time for your confession here. Fourth, whatever it is that you're asking for, you recognize God's will will be done and that what, what we should seek, even if that will does not match our own. And lastly, our needs be met, including a strengthening of our faith, which is under attack. If we take the Lord's Prayer, it's a model. At, at best, it's a model. Extemporaneous, this is the fun one. It's the one that um, takes on any form at once. It dodges any formalized approach and leans towards you pouring yourself out in dialogue with God, though some of the above points wouldn't be bad taken into consideration. Um, This can take on nearly any shape that is needed and can be brief, prolonged, or anything in between. Talk to God, that's the most important part, in any way you're capable of, but be aware of those pitfalls and considerations we've already mentioned. And don't forget you can ask him for help with anything you're struggling with, including prayer. So reading plans. I'm not going to talk a whole lot on the reading plans because there are so many, it's ridiculous. How many of you have the Bible app on Android, iOS? A lot of you. That's just one. There's a ton of them. There's more free ones. There's, there's devotionals you can buy in bookstores. You can just Google how to have a Bible reading plan. Those exact terrible, you don't even need Boolean search parameters. You're going to find it and just stick with it. So the most important part about uh, reading plans is that you stick with them. There's a smartphone and tablet app out there that offers plans based on criteria you set, um, reading through the Bible in a year plans, reading the Bible twice through a year plans, reading just the prophets, the epistles, the New Testament, Old Testament, Psalms, and so many other more, you shouldn't have any problem finding one. Now what's important is that you stick to it. You develop consistency. Uh, Consistently investing your time in the word and praying offers a cumulative effect. So work to see this plan you start through if you are able. And if you stop, start another one. Momentum matters. And guys, you can tell I don't have a beach bod. I have like dad bod 2.0. But if you've ever worked out a day in your life, your first day, you were not your fastest, you were not your strongest. You have to start somewhere and you have to keep it up. So in conclusion, I wish I could say I've always been consistent in my approaches to a spiritual life. But the simple truth is, I haven't. I'm mortal. I've been a cookie-cutter Christian. I've been the guy who only prays when he's scared. He needs something, or on Sundays only. I've also been a guy that reads and pray every day for the last 238 days straight. That's more than my entire life combined up to that point. Um, to be honest, I've missed a handful of those days, but I always made it up. I've bounced through all the above prayer models um, more than once, I've cycled through them, tried new things, uh, but I've stuck to the general, read the Bible in a year's reading plan, since it's something I've never done myself, and I've enjoyed learning as I go. Uh, since we're still being honest here, it's almost comically easy to stick with it now, but it didn't start out that way. You know, we talked about people chasing certain things in their approach to reading and praying. When you stop chasing, and you start submitting, you allow the person who's pursuing you, God, to meet you in the middle, and something else can happen. Like, I, I can't count a lot of emotions, even though those are things I've at more than one time in my life gone after. I can't count a lot of those, those miracles, those unexplainable phenomenon, but I can count on a feeling I've never had in my life, that I need God. And that, that's the best gift I've ever had. I, I know I need Him. I can't go a day without Him. If I'm late in an hour, I'm late ten minutes praying, it makes me agitated. It, it irritates me. It's something that is crazy easy to keep up with now, but that was far from what it was when it started. Um, I tried to to find excuses not to do this stuff, but I always came back every day. I struggled with praising God, with loving him and reading his word, but now I can't function without those things. And maybe that awareness, that allowing myself to become dependent upon my creator, was the whole point of this thing. As for you, I can't say how this is going to turn out, but I can say it's worth your time. Thank you.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, as we've been working through this prayer sermon series over the past couple months, we've walked through a couple of things. We learned about literally how Jesus prayed, and then because of how he prayed, what some of the reasons behind why he prayed likely were. And so, why would Jesus himself pray, right? We walked through the Lord's Prayer itself and how this prayer that Christ taught us to pray teaches us both. Uh, how to recognize who he is when we're praying and what his uh, purposes are in this world are while we're praying. And then we also got to recognize and learn about uh, how we are supposed to rely on him for everything, right? And even in our prayer, we're praying that he would allow us to rely on him and that he would provide what we need because he is the one who can provide it, right? We learned about how Christ himself currently prays for us and intercedes on our behalf before the Father and how the Holy Spirit prays with us and he knows God's will perfectly and therefore he can pray perfectly with us, right? And then as Dave taught us, we learned some of the whys behind why we should regularly be praying or praying continuously or without ceasing. And we got to step through some of these uh, step through some of these barriers that we come sometimes have that keep us from praying well, and we've learned some possible ways that we can overcome some of these barriers, right? But I want to kick you out one more thing today. One more, uh, as we're finishing up the prayer series with Jake, it's finishing up next week. Pastor Jake will be. Uh, that'll be the last one in the prayer series. As we're finishing up the series, I want to give you one big practical why I need you to be praying. And that is this. I don't know if anyone else here has noticed it or felt it or recognized it, but by goodness, there has been some opposition hitting city pretty heavily over these past couple months. Uh, I don't think I can look through here and see a single face that I see regularly that has not had something heavy hit them really hard, something that's meant to basically break your spirit, uh, hurt terribly, uh, cause feelings of hopelessness, despair, and just a, a, a want to quit. Guys, I know it because I've been noticing it too, right? Cool story though. Blessed are you whenever you undergo trial because through trial you gain perseverance. Even in these trials we're blessed, right? But one of the ways, one of the things that's going to allow us to actually persevere through this is if we're praying well for Christ to do his will in our lives, and if we're praying for perseverance to overcome these things, and if we're praying for each other for the same, right? I will be praying for you. I need you to be praying for me. But it also excites me too because uh, I always love it whenever massive opposition happens to churches and to individuals because opposition usually doesn't hit unless something big is happening. And I think Jesus is doing something big. And I don't know what it is, but it excites me. And I can't wait to see what it is. It may not be something we even get to recognize because it's about him and not us, right? We don't actually matter. He matters. And I'm excited to see what he's doing. And that's why I can be okay during the midst of opposition because I don't know what he's doing, but it's going to be glorious and he will gain glory from it, right? We're going to bring up the communion elements now. We're going to step into a time of communion. Ladies and gentlemen, at City Church, we practice what is considered an open communion. This means you are welcome to partake with us regardless of creed or confession within Christendom. And so you don't have to be a member of City to partake with us. All that we ask is that if you uh, are not currently a follower of Christ, we would ask you to respect this time wherein the followers of Christ can commune with their Lord and with each other. And we know that whenever we break bread together, we are to be remembering Christ and what he's done every time. And that is doubly so today because that's what we're actually doing following the service at our picnic. We're going to be communing together and breaking bread together, and we're going to be proclaiming the Lord's death as we do so and his resurrection as we do so. So we know this, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, take and drink. This is my blood, a new covenant poured out on your behalf. Do this in remembrance of me. As we partake in communion today, remember that what we are remembering, celebrating and commemorating is Christ and his death and his resurrection. What he did for us for you and me. The life that he poured out so that we could have a relationship with him is what we celebrate and remember in this time. So as you are ready, please feel free to file on, come up and partake in the bread and the cup, and remember your Lord and how much he loves you.